2: Riches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, let me tell you something about producer, maybe now we'll have to call him executive producer, senior producer Colin Chocola is that he and I are from the same trashy kind of culinary energy and... If you're watching at home, you can see that Colin is helping us celebrate Grimace's birthday. We are not, very obviously, not being compensated by McDonald's, but we have had something of a running gag on this show about McDonald's. Some of you may remember the McRib episode where Eliana ate her first ever McRib. And I had included a piece... For today's about a a serious journalistic breakdown of what Grimace is, and I was surprised that as McDonald's celebrates Grimace's fake birthday, that Grimace did have a backstory that he was originally a villain. Did you know that? No. He was originally a villain. I guess part of Mayor McCheese's or the uh, Hamburgler's. I was gonna say the Hamburgler's gang. And that Grimace is a taste bud. He is a giant, distended, misshapen tragic. So he's like the elephant man of these things. And so Cookie has gotten for us a Grimace's birthday meal bash because we are trash.
1: I love McDonald's.
2: I know me too. I don't love McDonald's cuz I'm not trash. <laughs> That's not why. I don't
1: I I reject your association.
2: I think we can say and I'm
1: and I'm also pissed that you took that Big Mac.
2: Well, you get the... I can't eat the nuggets because they're all breaded. I'm going to have a very small taste of the milkshake.
1: So I've never tried this before. I've only heard rave reviews of the... What's the green shake that they do at St. Patrick's Day? Shamrock, Shamrock, Shamrock shake. Shamrock shake. Yes. Okay, that's We're gonna good. We're going to try that too. No,
2: that's good. It's berry. It's lightly berry. And like all McDonald's milkshakes should, it is not ice cream. It is a like... I assume it's also caulk. Have you ever left a McDonald's milkshake in your car or something, and it melts, but it doesn't melt; it just becomes warm. It doesn't change states. What do you it's say? Really
1: good. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out the flavor.
2: I think it's berry. I think it's yeah.
1: It tastes grapey a little. Yeah,
2: it's a it's it's a pur- you know you but know what flavor it is? It's purple flavored.
1: It's very good. It's a
2: purple flavored. It's a purple flavored um, thing.
1: It's very good.
2: Now, like an animal. I'm going to eat the patties from the... Oh my
1: gosh, I can't believe you're doing that I'm, on video. Uh, are you kidding me? He's eating a, a Big Mac taco. Yeah. I think I've seen that on TikTok.
2: I'm into it. It's delicious. And I'm here to be slightly less fat. So, I'm for it.
1: All right, Chris. hmm I'll start with Will our front page. Yes. Chris loves to be communal and say they're all our items, but this is my item. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to start talking a little bit about the Hunter Biden plea deal and mm-hmm. the press coverage that it received. Okay, you don't have to. You can just you can just eat and I can talk. No, I'm um, okay. I'm here. <laughs> I'm a um, beefy okay. participant. And I wanted to give a shout out. I'm sure everyone can predict that I thought the press coverage was pretty bad and did not did not sufficiently skewer or press the Biden administration for the president having said repeatedly that his son did nothing wrong and act. You know, respond with umbrage every time he was asked about it. But anyhow, I wanted to put in a link in our newsletter mm-hmm. um, and shout out Andy McCarthy at National Review, who has just a short piece. But he wrote six weeks ago that the president, who, when he said my son had done nush- nothing wrong, Andy pointed out that that was an interference with the investigation because he is broadcasting to the right. Justice Department something. And Andy said then, This has led to speculation that the scam I've been predicting for a couple of years is imminent. The Justice Department could soon give Hunter a sweetheart plea deal in which he would admit guilt to the undeniable, a minor tax charge or two, plus perhaps a false statement on a required federal firearms form concealing his drug abuse. Swept under the rug would be the part of the investigation that really matters, the gross monetization of Joe Biden's political influence and what foreign adversaries like China believed they were buying. So that is exactly what happened. Pretty good. Pretty good. I would like to be able to put... political predictions like that. And then Andy notes, this is not six weeks ago, but after the plea deal, he says under Justice Department policy, even with the plea agreement, the government is supposed to seek a plea to the most serious, readily provable offense that is consistent with the nature and full extent of the defendant's conduct. And he's quoting Justice Department policy there. Hunter Biden committed tax offenses that could have been charged as evasion, which is punishable by up to five years imprisonment for each count. Furthermore, he made a false statement that enabled him to obtain a firearm. That's a 10-year felony under legislation pushed through by then-Senator Joe Biden to show how very serious Democrats are about gun crime. So he goes on to say that this is all a departure from Justice Department policy, which is why it is in fact a sweetheart deal. And it's not, you know, it's not just Republicans crying f- foul. But I thought that this piece, and we'll link it, was a useful antidote to all of the the voluminous coverage of this in the mainstream well,
2: Andy McCarthy is a national treasure, and I'm very He's glad that, that you included him. And I wouldn't have included mine. I debated whether to include mine because this is so rankly self-promotional. But since you already mentioned Andy's, I guess I will go ahead and roll around in this like a dog in a dead deer, like a dog in a Big Mac,
0: <clears throat>
2: and say that on June 9th, I published a piece that said— Who the hell does Hunter Biden think he is? He made all these millions of dollars off of his family name. And now he's going to do like a aggressive Second Amendment defense on why he should be able to have a not a license, have a permit to purchase a gun and that he could do these things at this terrible cost to his father. And I said, politically, he's got to throw himself on the mercy of the court and try to do something. And obviously, Hunter Biden, dispatch subscriber, avid, clearly an avid Chris Dyerwalt reader, took the cue and, ent- and is entering his plea. So there you go. I, it's, I did it.
1: <laughs> well, I love it.
2: I do think, though, that just this is politics, not media. But I do think this is poses an interesting question for Republicans and Trump. I don't know what other charges are likely to come for Hunter Biden. I assume some.
1: Well, so one of the weird things about this was that Hunter Biden's lawyer came forward and said the investigation is closed. Everything's over. While well, the Justice Department said it's ongoing. Well,
2: this 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 Delaware based tax and gun thing may be done. But I suspect that in terms of what else Hunter Biden has done over the years, they're probably not done. But this is a, a, a good place to start. But the question now is, Republicans talking about the sweetheart deal, the question for Donald Trump is, what would you get if you pleaded, right? What, what kind of deal might Donald Trump get? Could Donald Trump avoid jail time if he pleaded guilty and made a deal here? And I bet he could. I bet it's possible. I mean, people go away for a long time for records, for— State secrets and stuff, but there's some extenuating circumstances here. So, as a political as a political question, this is very helpful to Democrats. That e- even though, to your point, the coverage was very tender, this this is politically helpful for Democrats.
1: My favorite part of the mainstream coverage before we move on from this was the following in the New York Times. About the diversion program that Hunter Biden is going into, and they're trying to normalize this. The New York Times write, writes, Hunter Biden's deal, which includes admitting he illegally possessed a handgun because he was addicted to drugs at the time of purchase, includes his entry into a diversion program, comma, a common alternative to incarceration. First time offenders, especially those not accused of committing acts of violence, are often sent to such programs which have come into greater use as prison systems attempt to reduce their inmate populations and ease racial sentencing disparities. I don't think Hunter Biden is who the diversion programs were created for, guys.
2: Speaking of Donald Trump, I would like to commend my former colleague Brett Baer for, I think, the best Trump interview that I have seen since Lester Holt got Donald Trump to admit that he fired James Comey because of the Russia investigation, Brett did, the way that he did a good job, and we talk about this here a lot, but the way that he did a good job was he was prepared. He did not go in with, you know, the the temptation, if you're interviewing somebody like Trump, who, the, the way that Trump lies is he... He knows that he's lying. You know that he's lying. And he's like, what are you going to do about it, right? The sky is green. I say it's green. You say it's not. I'm going to stand pat here. The way that Brett handled the situation, and I think with a plume, was to go through and be very specific, right? Here is the specific thing that was said. And he managed in what could have been – he could have gotten steamrolled. And that would have been a disaster for him. Or he could have fought with Trump in a really argumentative way. And that would have been bad for his employers. But I think he found a, I think he found a way to get through that, made some news out of it. And Trump's lawyers must have just been taking gas the entire time. Like to, watching that must have been extraordinarily painful.
1: The best part of this interview, I thought, and the most effective, and I want to play the clip of it, was when Bear asked Trump, you know, you say you hire the best people, and yet those people are now, you're fighting with them all, and they don't seem to have great things to say about you. You don't seem to have great things to say about them. Let's play that exchange. In
0: 2016, you said that. I'm going to surround myself with only the best and most serious people. Well, I did do that. This and we time, had tremendous. Look, we had the best economy we've ever had. This time, has ever seen. Your vice president, Mike Pence, is running against you. Yeah. Your ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, she's running against you. Your former secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, said he's not supporting you. You mentioned national security Advisor John Bolton. He's not supporting you either. You mentioned Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, says you shouldn't be president again. Uh, calls you the consummate narcissist and troubled man. You recently called and uh, Barr a, a gutless pig. Uh, you're saying second defense secretary is not supporting you, called you irresponsible. This week you and your White House called your White House chief of staff John Kelly weak and ineffective and born with a very small brain. You called your acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney a born loser. You called your first Secretary of State Rex Tillerson dumb as a rock. And your first Defense Secretary James Mattis the world's most overrated general. You called your White House Press Secretary Kayla Kennedy milk toast. And multiple times you've referred to your Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao as Mitch McConnell's China-loving wife. So why did you hire all of them in the first place? Because I hired ten to one that were fantastic. We had a great economy we had
2: only one in 10 only one in 10 that's just there's 10 times as many people who love him than who say that he is an abomination and must not be allowed to return to office
1: by the way this comes on the heels of trump calling bill barr a low life yeah and you know scum of the earth
2: yep i think low
1: life is the exact term that he used
2: the donald trump versus the world narrative that he it doesn't matter what he does and he can just go on and do it may be true he may get the republican nomination nobody may ever lay a glove on him but it's a long way from now till the end of this year and that's where we'll see we'll see how how the mileage wears
1: up next chris we have a call from the chicago tribune oh the cameras in the courtroom my gosh when trump enters. oh
2: my gosh victor she oh it's they've put it behind the paywall Well, I can't read it again, but when I read it before it was in the paywall, the argument is democracy demands, our institutions demand televising and live streaming Donald Trump's federal trial. I cannot emphasize what a bad idea cameras in courtrooms are. I cannot emphasize how bad it would be to put them in the Supreme Court, and I cannot tell you what a terrible choice it would be to put cameras... (laughs) To put cameras in, of all federal trials, this federal trial. Just uh, of all of the reasons that I could list here, let's just do the two obvious ones. O.J. Simpson, the travesty that was the O.J. Simpson trial, the ridiculous bit of cable television that was the O.J. Simpson trial, or how about our dysfunctional and broken Congress? How about the way that Congress can't work because every committee hearing turns into a Real Housewives episode? And just we can have reporters in there. They make a record of it. Putting the cameras into the courtroom does not increase accountability. It sounds like transparency, but as you've heard me say many times before, transparency and accountability are two different things. And you can be transparent without being accountable, and you can be accountable without being fully transparent. Let these trials take place. Just stop it.
1: Also, we have I mean, we've seen the same sort of distortion effort in the White House briefing room. Yes. Where the presence of cameras distorts what actually— You got it. It, it changes the dynamic of what actually happens there. Performative um, tomfoolery. And, yeah. It, and at times, like, the, it, it would be more informative not to have the cameras because the— performance artist aspect to it makes it makes the information extracted actually less useful
2: all right jake tapper in how are things going at cnn post licked and jake tapper says cnn we
1: long for the days
2: jake tapper says cnn won't cover quote potentially dangerous trump speech this is the speech that trump gave at his at his mini white house at his country club in new jersey which was a rambling a, a, a typically Trumpian airing of grievances and that they're not going to do it and they're not going because to cover it. Because
1: they have integrity. They have backbone. They are the good people.
2: Tapper told his guest, and this is... Yeah. Tapper told his guest, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. who doesn't perform. She's not performative. She's just... She doesn't just do it for attention. She's a serious lawmaker, okay? As and I... she...
1: she never says things that aren't true. She doesn't just
2: say things for the sake of getting attention and trolling. As I told you in the audience, we're not carrying his remarks live because, frankly, he says a lot of things that are not true and sometimes potentially dangerous. Folks in the control room, I don't need to see any more of that, said Tapper. He's trying to turn it into a spectacle, into a campaign ad. That's enough of that. We've seen it already. Okay. I understand why the town hall was a debacle. I got it. But Brett Bear just showed just showed how it can be done, right? It can the, there's there's a way to do this stuff. And in the case of whether or not you're going to show Trump's remarks, don't tell me, show me, right? Don't tell me how superior you are because you're not going to show it. Just put on a TV show. It's just a TV show. You do your TV show. You do it any way you want to do it, but don't make this whole thing about, you know, control room, take that down. We're not, we're not doing this. That's that. If, if your complaint is about performative foofery, don't be performatively foofer-ish when you're denouncing it. That's please. saying, don't be you. Oh. Don't be you. Oh. Okay. Okay. Gavin Newsom going on Sean Hannity. What say you, Eliana Johnson? Will you eat a McNubbit? Will you eat a McNugget? You can always, you have a bailout with the, with the Grimace meal here.
1: It's, Eleven seventeen in the morning at McNugget was not on my. I just
2: ate a handful of hamburgers. Yeah, I know,
1: but but you're the one who eats a bag of beef <laughs> a bag for of breakfast. Meat. Bag of meat. Yeah. I'll
2: eat a bag of meat. Okay, um, fine. We have different standards. Some people have different standards.
1: I think it's great that Newsom did Hannity. I, I love this stuff, and I I remember because I was a writer and producer on Hannity, and the the guy who would come on it probably says something about him in retrospect. But Anthony Weiner would come on all the time,
2: hey. and hey.
1: I think more of the stuff should happen like it, it does show the audience that like these are people who can have a conversation who can get along
2: we talked about tim scott going on the view this is it's, gavin newsom going on hannity wonderful. go on tv talk to people try to do it in a respectful way i thought that was fine and i thought that's the way it ought to be
1: should we play a clip sure let's do it i think he's a man of
0: decency and character i'm really proud of the president I'm proud of what he's accomplished he strong enough years? to be president that's strong I'm, I'm enough about. Look what he just did to mccarthy he ran Pinch circles. To look, look at the vote card. I didn't know like I wouldn't I mean, have voted for it. Exactly. Kevin got played by the President of the United States. I'm for results. I'm for results. I don't think the, the American, American of the people day. benefit. I like the plan that would have saved $4.8 All right.
2: The hair alone in that segment between is, those two he's gentlemen. a
1: handsome man, Newsom.
2: The, well, and, but say. the Sean hair game is serious. He has serious hair. That's like a, a hair showdown. That is hair v hair. <laughs> okay, my colleague Christine Rosen.
1: This was a wonderful piece.
2: Is is she smart? Say a lot of people are saying Christine Rosen, one of the smartest people writing in commentary. And I wrote a whole book about this, so I was definitely feeling what she was feeling. And she used the occasion of Tucker, the launch of Tucker Carlson's Twitter show, including his discussion of sweaty, rat-faced, anti-Christian Jewish leaders, to talk about something that we talk about here a lot which is cable news the the window the aperture is closing around yeah, cable the news the title of
1: the piece is the end of cable news question mark but there really doesn't need to be a question mark the the industry is in inexorable decline and she writes in her piece in commentary magazine which we will link about the decentralization that started back in 2004 the unsettled media landscape is part of a much larger 40-year story about the collapse of gatekeepers with new media such as cable news the internet and now social platforms each playing a part in upending both the old order and each iteration of the new order that preceded it. Much of this was a welcome democratization of an industry that had grown insular, sanctimonious, and unaccountable in its behavior. Yes, we just taught, we just gave a couple of examples, CNN. When a powerline commenter successfully exposed the fact that CBS News icon Dan Rather had aired a story on 60 Minutes just before the 2004 election that lied about President George W. Bush's service in the Texas National Guard based on falsified documents that Rather had failed to verify, it heralded a new world of citizen-sponsored fact-checking of institutions. It also spelled the end of Rather, who along with his producer was fired from CVS News.
2: I agree wholeheartedly with Christine who's such a good writer, but I do think there is another the, the next thing is this and I've been thinking about this a lot as it relates to artificial intelligence as it relates to the, the, the loss of the blue checks and accountability and all of those things. The value of straight news is only increasing. In a chaotic space where opinion has supplanted substantially, emotional-driven blabber has substantially supplanted real reporting and reliable news, we are now in a place where, as people become less confident in sources, reliable, good reporting and reliable news becomes more valuable
1: one of the things that i that i think when you say that is that people don't agree on what straight news is. Right. When I think about, like, what are the sources I go to, I could cite a handful of sources that I think of as straight news, but I think that there would be a lot of controversy about that. And I think that's because, it, and I think other people, they would say, well, I read Politico Playbook, and I read Axios AM, and I would say, like, are you kidding me? Those things are not straight news?
2: So, there, there is, this is one of the reasons I'm always picking on the Associated Press here, when the Associated Press does goofy-ah uh, uh, kind of trend reporting and stuff instead of just doing the commodity news that we want the Associated Press to do so that's part of it but I would say so let's take the two best newspapers in the United States the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times does the New York Times have a point of view obviously it has a point of view do I generally trust the facts that are reported in the New York Times yeah. If The New York Times has reported it, I feel a pretty high degree of confidence that the number is accurate, the names are spelled right, that the the accounting of the things is correct. I feel the same way about The Wall Street Journal. Now, if you're a left person you don't like the way the wall street journal covers things a lot of the times if you're a right person you don't like the way the new york times covers the things the stories they choose and all of that stuff but the factual the payload the 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 facts that are available are mostly reliable and that brand of just being right at a core level is worth something even if it's even if it's tented in the the reason Christine is so right to point out Dan Rather. What did Dan Rather do? He wanted that story to be true. And he allowed the New York Times famously referred to the memo gate as the fake but accurate. Right. <laughs> the fake the fake but accurate reporting of CBS News. They knew it was true, they felt like it was true, and so they experienced a confirmation bias. And they lost confidence because they got the facts wrong. Opinion is fine, but you got to stick to the facts. Okay. All right?
1: I think there's a lot more to it that goes into story selection. Totally. that, That means that even so, you're not getting a complete picture. Sure, the facts can be accurate, but the shading that you put around them and the stories that you choose to cover means... There's enormous bias that can go into it, even around that.
2: The first bias in journalism is the stories you don't cover, right? Story selection is the first and most essential bias. For example, let's say Casey DeSantis.
1: Oh my gosh! And (laughs) and so the Washington Post did the umpteenth profile of this woman.
2: They have been
1: umpteenth in-depth profile obsessed. I would say this was the least bad one that has been published, but okay. it's still bad.
2: I didn't read it. I confess. The,
1: I read the whole thing, and the headline is Tracing the Power of Casey DeSantis. The subheadline As Ron DeSantis pursues the presidency, his wife's role is limitless. Casey, 42, isn't a typical political spouse, which I kind of know what she means, but aren't we sort of past? that, why does that inspire so much fear? Oh. And yet the whole profile plays into the same old tropes. It's, it does not push back against them. The next sentence in the subheadline headline is, Horizon TV an insular marriage. Mm. Tell the story. Mm. I don't understand the obsession with their marriage, which just seems to be that They are very close, both personally and professionally. In
2: Republican circles, people say very mean things about Casey DeSantis. I've heard them say it. I've heard them say it off the record. I've heard people really be catty about her. So I assume that that – I I thought the line in this piece about comparing her to Barbara Bush and Nancy Reagan was very interesting because those were certainly people who had – before, before Barbara Bush had fully cultivated the sweet grandmother in Pearl's image, she had a different kind of reputation, and people hated Nancy Reagan and wrote a bajillion profiles trashing her. So intre- They're
1: serious people with serious power.
2: Good for good for The Washington Post for doing doing that.
1: It is it is not that good of a piece. It's only the it's only the least least bad. bad. But it plays into the same old tropes that like there's something weird about these two people as opposed to like they're a couple who are very close politically, professionally and personally who have a shared ambition Mm -hmm. to achieve political power. And that's that's. Not even unique. A lot of people have that, but it's it's rare. Mm-hmm. Like I certainly don't have that with my husband. He'd be like playing video games if I was, you know. Oh. He, he he wouldn't be like out on the campaign trail, or but I don't want to be doing that either. But it's it's rare. But it, it's not. They act like they're a museum specimen.
2: They they are people are obsessed.
1: And we don't see any profiles of anybody else's wife. All Jill Biden gets are like you know praising b s it's It's unbelievable to me
2: here here The Washington Post has other feelings about Ron DeSantis too
1: oh, well, the one we should have put in here this one I'm like less interested in we'll, we'll get to it <laughs> Then the article yesterday that had six bylines about how a donor lent him a golf simulator to like hit balls in the, in governor's, the governor's mansion. mansion. And it was like six bylines on this story. Like, guys, I think he's finished now. The donor lent, it. and then they say, you know, it was a, uh, it was, it was lent, not given. And they're like, but it was installed.
2: But it was installed. It was
1: installed. It was installed. Anyhow, talk, talk about this one.
2: I did see that piece, and it, it was, was on... it was. Now he did take some plane trips. I don't know. It, it seemed, oh
1: my god, thin. Guys, all politicians. Are close to donors because all they do is fundraise. It takes a lot of money to get to high office in this country.
2: Governor Ron DeSantis used secretive panel to flip state Supreme Court. This must have been a real scandal. Something serious must have been. It's a secret. The panel is secretive, and he used this to flip the Supreme Court. What happened? Well for decades the ambitious the ambitions of Florida's republicans governors Florida's republican governors were stymied by the liberal leaning state supreme court that is Comma, until Ron DeSantis was elected. The court let him erase a congressional district with a large black population. It opened the door to making it easier to impose a death penalty. Now it's po- poised to rule on the governor's plan to outlaw most abortions in the third most populous state. The hard right turn was by design. What? It was by design? They wanted it to happen? Also,
1: How hard did they- right. Like, they never say hard left.
2: Well, they might. I don't know. But don't. the the by design, the by design component, you think, do you think that it was by design that the conservative Republican governor of Florida, what did he do? Did he murder the existing Supreme Court justices? Did he blackmail and extort them? Did Did they wake up with a meatball in their bed, which they knew was a sign that they would soon be killed?
1: With a thing of pudding. Yeah, with a, a thing pudding of pu- a, a pudding. A like meatball and a pudding. That's right. <laughs>
2: You're next. no. <laughs> He appointed, he appointed justices to the court. DeSantis seized on, he seized on it. He, 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 other, other governors would have just let the Supreme Court vacancies go unfilled. DeSantis seized on the unusual, why was it unusual? Retirement of three liberal justices at once to quickly remake the court. Well, obviously this is the dark and sinister. He's out there seizing on all of these things. And he did so with the help of a secretive panel led by Leonard Leo, the key architect of the U.S. Supreme Court's conservative majority, that quietly vetted. They quietly did it. I didn't see him take out one ad. They didn't take out one ad to vet the judicial nominees in an Orlando well, so conference is, room, this, in a conference this room. This
1: a great exa- example oh, of my how gosh. Like, the wording around this stuff injects bias. Well, of course. To create an impression.
2: Yeah, you could write this story— Five different ways. You could write, you know, I'm sure the, you know, the Federalist version or whatever is like heroic Leonard Leo uses once in a lifetime opportunity to save the unborn. (laughs) Yeah, you could write it any number of different ways. This is a particularly foolish way to write it. Secretive panel. He seized on the retirement, the unusual retirement. Jeez Louise.
1: It sounds like it came from an auto-generated oh, AI. AI, you know. AI. Ridiculous.
2: Bard, show me a Washington Post story about Ron DeSantis in the Supreme Court.
1: All right. Joe Rogan. Ready? Yep. Um, <laughs> offering a uh, vaccine expert $100,000 to debate Robert F Kennedy.
2: Yes, and then one of his minions, one of his fry guys, went I out. I haven't
1: followed this, so I need okay. to know what Okay. So, happened.
2: he had we had RFK Jr on his show for a long time. I listened to a lot of it, and it was shall I say, an uncritical airing of Mr. Kennedy's theories on vaccines, on how Wi-Fi is destroying your brain cells, on a whole a whole list of things which found Rogan a remarkably credulous audience. My favorite was when Rogan would say, look that up to his producer, and then the producer would look up Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s webpage, read Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s web page back into be like, oh my gosh, we gotta get rid of Wi-Fi. We gotta get rid of Wi-Fi. So this happens, and a vaccine scientist posted a long tweet thread that said, here's why these claims about Vaccines are wrong specifically. So Joe Rogan said, I'll give you $100,000. I'll give $100,000 to a charity of your choice if you come on my show and debate RFK Jr. And his refusal to do so, Rogan came after him, came after him. And then eventually one of his fry guys showed up at this guy's house and confronted him in a polite way, but a creepy way about why he wouldn't accept the $100,000 to go on Joe Rogan's podcast.
1: Whose house did he show up at?
2: The scientist's house.
1: Rogan showed up?
2: No, some one of his one of his stands. Okay. And the guy called him said cuz I'm a journalist, journalists do this all the time. This is what journalists do. I it is certainly true that in my life I've had to go to people's homes and knock on the door. I don't think it's appropriate to go with the camera rolling. I think you can knock on a public figure's door and ask them for a comment under certain circumstances. For example, if a person has been charged with a crime, if a person is part of an investigation, if a person has been the victim of a crime, there there are circumstances in which I can see a reporter going to someone's home and knocking on the door. Is fine, but you certainly wouldn't do it with the camera rolling, and you certainly wouldn't do it over the fact that Joe Rogan says you should debate uh, that a celebrity says you should come on his show. So I have chased you down and asked you why you won't come on his show. That is not a journalistic undertaking.
1: I wanted to your your part two of this.
2: Oh, the right wing and RFK Jr. The right wing press and RFK Jr. I I any pollsters who are out there, please poll how RFK Jr. would do if he switched and was running in the Republican primary because I think he'd do pretty pretty good his numbers are flat or falling in Democratic polls I see I think he used to be at about 20 and I see him at 15 now but it's state it's stable to Nate Moore what do you say He has higher favorable ratings among Republicans. Not only has he shifted into summer tweeds with aplomb, he is keeping the data fresh. So here's the National Review piece by Matthew Scully. Tough and talented, the long-shot candidate has earned respect. And this is, we talked about it here before, there's a, at first there's a mischief-making thing that the right, wing press was doing, which is like, how come you won't debate RFK Jr.? Look at RFK Jr. How come you're not talking to RFK Jr.? Hey, Joe Biden. And then it eventually gave way to, you know, I kind of like him. He's got a real twinkle in his eye, and I'm interested in what this guy has to say.
1: Well, I think that the right is happy to see somebody challenging Biden and happy to give that person airtime. I'm not sure.
2: I think the affection is growing. I think the affection is growing.
1: But I think it's for that reason. I, I'm I'm not sure he would do great in a Republican primary.
2: I think he would do as well. I think, here, he would
1: do as well as some of the my other bet. contenders. Here's my bet. He'd do as well as he, Doug be, Burgum.
2: He'd be doing better than Vivek Ramaswamy. Yes.
1: Yeah. OK, that's fair. I think
2: that a lot of older people who have a strong... And he's very charming in his way, if you listen to him on I, Joe Rogan, I agree. He's very charming in his way. And I think that there are a lot uh, – I think what Republicans ought to be cognizant of is if RFK Jr. ends up running as an independent, which I certainly think he might, he or switches to the Republican side. If, if RFK Jr. ends up on a Republican debate stage, good luck. Good luck out there, folks. Good luck.
1: Um- I'm going to take I'm bearish on on RFK Jr. On, on being a Republican.
2: We'll see we'll see what happens. Well, I, I'm
1: taking the under on that.
2: But if he certainly I would say if he runs as an independent he would do more harm to the Republican side than he would to the Democratic. Okay. Okay, speaking of rich people.
1: The Titanic sub.
2: Titanic it's a, it's a submersible. You can't say it's a submarine. I've been corrected already as as the American news media learns to become submersible experts. We
1: don't even have most amazing part of this, which is the part that Cookie was telling me about before the show, which is the the rich guy who's on there, his son's tweets. Oh. His stepson's tweets.
2: Oh, no. What is it? Now, as we record this, we should just say as we record this, the vessel has not been found, and the clock has not run out on their air supply.
1: So, Cookie, he said, can you get a mic? Yeah. Okay. Get on
2: mic. We need Cookie yes. on mic. You got us the, the grimace meal. My son well you didn't get the grimace meal. In turn, Jay got it for us. So. Thank
1: you. It
0: was yeah, a big team effort. So the stepson said, Please think of my family right now during this hard time and then the next tweet was him at Blink one eighty two saying, They helped me get through stressful times like rock on.
2: Oh.
0: And then he and then he continued to tweet like ladies, I'm single.
2: Oh no. <laughs> and it
0: went on from there. And I think there's he has a history of doing these sort of things on Twitter.
2: Oh no. Yes. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, a troubled, a troubled youth.
1: He's the Hunter Biden of.
2: Yeah. Okay. So my, I love this Daily Beast mm-hmm. story so much. The lost Titanic sub didn't even have a basic safety beacon. Subhead: Untethered by regulations, the vehicle wasn't even equipped with some of the most essential tools. The the its inexplicable design may end in tragedy. Hey. Did you hear, Eliana, the government barely regulates steel tubes being <laughs> dropped to the bottom of international waters by lunatic billionaires. Did you know that there's... Be- I mean, what agencies are even involved? Who's the oversight? We need to get a hearing to figure out when we're going to start regulating this better.
1: The other amazing part of this I saw wow. was that there was a CBS News reporter, and I forget who it was now, but who went on this thing.
2: Yes, I saw that yeah We had him on News Nation. He was okay. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, when he did his report on CBS... He did not say I was actually on this thing, and it was harrowing. Didn't that, say no. He didn't say. Oh, uh, he in talked his report about it on in his... CBS. Oh my gosh! Well, it sounded totally crazy what he reported. So that that was amusing too. I forget who the guy was.
2: Okay, Ocean Gate. So here's the the New Republic. OceanGate CEO missing in Titanic sub had history of donating to GOP candidates, yeah, it, so that explains that is why the our, steel the most the 2023 steel, story. That's right. That's why the steel tube dropping industry is so wildly unregulated, untethered by regulations. OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush. Who here's a list of who he's donated to? Okay, it must be pretty big. Now, a point of Here's graph two. Now, a point of a caveat here, according to these public finance records, Rush was not a Republican mega donor, but his donations over the years leaned heavily toward Republican candidates. What a trash thing to write. Here's a guy who obviously is a weird person because he likes to be dropped in a steel tube to the bottom of the North Atlantic at a very risky thing to do. Interesting and all that stuff.
1: Everyone knows everyone knows Dino J. Rossi. A Washington state, the you know, Washington state. I know, I know who that is. Republican. I've never heard of him. Yeah, D-
2: uh, Dino Rossi state got close. Dino Rossi got close on governor. It like went to a recount. He lost by like 400 votes, and then ran again. And Dino Rossi was a great hope back when, back in the Slade post Slade Gordon era, where Republicans still looked at Washington and Oregon as potential I statewide mean, office. So that, that's a, a long way of saying it. The guy it is hardly, hardly
1: flying Supreme Court justices around on his private jet.
2: That's right. Exactly. He's never he has never taken a Supreme Court justice to the bottom of the North Atlantic in a tube. Woof. So there when you when you say what's wrong with the media today? The answer is making. A goofy story. And this is a perfect summer story for the news biz. This is a shark attack kind of story, which is it's riveting and it's interesting. But and I know the stakes aren't low for the people involved. And I feel terrible for the families of these individuals. I really do. I sincerely do. But obviously they undertook a insanely reckless thing to do and what they paid a quarter of a million dollars or whatever for the privilege to do it. So the stakes are high in a narrative story, and it's interesting, but it's also a summertime kind. It's it's a it's a beach read of a news story.
1: What do we have next year?
2: Oh, your boy, Fred Ryan.
1: Oh. It's Fred over. Fred Ryan, publisher, out at the Washington Post. Finally. Yes. Finally. So the Post reported last week that Ryan 68 will lead the newly formed non-partisan Center on Public Civility. Quite so. At the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation. I'm
2: for more civility.
1: Okay. um,
2: (laughs) So, this... I mean,
1: this is a case of staying too long in a job, and... He
2: was there a lot longer than I thought he would be. Bye-bye. Yeah, he was there a lot longer than I thought he would be.
1: the best part is... Ryan said his departure is unrelated to the swirl in the industry. This is the guy who failed to execute a proper pivot For the newspaper, revenue wise, from the Trump era, out of the Trump era and subscriptions plummeted. He he also firmly believe there is a sound model for successful journalism and The Washington Post is well positioned to do that. Yeah, he just didn't find it. I have no doubt that the high quality journalism of the standard of The Washington Post will always be successful. Okay,
2: Uh, Patty. Stonesifer.
1: Stonesifer. Stone Cipher, Cipher.
2: the founding chief executive of the Gates Foundation and a former she put the micro. She was actually the one who put the microchips in the vaccine and a former high ranking Microsoft executive was named the interim CEO of the post starting immediately and is leading the search for Ryan's replacement. Okay, Eliana Johnson, who should Fred Ryan's replacement be?
1: I don't know the people who do the business side of news. Well, well,
2: but I think you need a per part of the problem for the post was that. So how long, Fred Ryan had been at Politico, right? He had worked for the All Britons for quite some time, right?
1: Yes, since their Politico days.
2: So the way to think about, I think about Politico is that it was a spinoff of the Washington Post, that Mike Allen and Jim VandeHei and whomever that left the Post started Politico. It was a different way of being and doing at the beginning of this century, and they were going to do this different thing. And then they brought Fred Ryan in, the august Republican Fred Ryan, a gray beard, to come in and mature up Politico into a the big media property that it was becoming, which eventually led to its sale for a, a stunning amount of money to Axel Springer. And then once he had achieved that level, then he comes over to a real legacy organization at the Washington Post and can't get his arms around it, apparently. So what is the Washington Post? Does the Washington Post need a disruptor? Does the Washington Post need steady hands? What does the Washington Post need?
1: My understanding, and I'm the last person you should listen to on how to monetize journalism, but is that what the Post failed to do is to establish a stream of revenue, like steady streams of revenue outside news, because news does not make money, really. And which means what the New York Times has done is... People pay for games and people play for cooking and people play for Wordle and they have the athletic and, you know, these other sorts of properties where you go to the New York Times and it's not just to read the news. Oh, Um, did you know, my,
2: my son who I got playing Wordle because I'm a huge nerd, my eldest man child, I've never gotten and it's luck, obviously, but I've never gotten the first gotten it right on the first try. He's already gotten it right on the first try.
1: Well, he's smarter than you are.
2: I know. I'm devastated. Ah. I'm devastated because he's already. Be- they have these math games, and when I try to play the math games, no I, look like a- I look like an. I look like an audio animatronic bear. I'm like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I can't do it. But and so I thought at least I've got Wordle on him. And then he sent me the his score with some sort of an anime GIF of somebody you know slicing open a cantaloupe with a laser sword or whatever. <laughs> and I- I'm, I'm, I am defeated. Yes. Oh, if we're bagging on The Washington Post, can I bag just yes, one yes. more bag further? 17 fatalities, 736 crashes. The shocking toll of Tesla's autopilot. Get it? It's shocking because it's an electric car. It's an electric car, so it's shocking that they're killing all of these people. Hilarious. This is, I don't care whether you drive a Tesla or don't drive a Tesla. I don't care. The unfairness of this story the rank unfairness of this story is wild to me because what it's saying is this car is the, – the allegation that this car is so unsafe is based on a comparison to what? How many crashes and fatalities are of typical cars that would be doing this, right? So they're holding the Tesla that it has – how many – people 17 fatalities do you know that 40,000 people a year die in car crashes and I'm sure that you can measure out the number of hours driven equal to the number of fatalities this was a sensationalized and I'll just to to be particularly sour about it if your company if your news organization is owned by a tech billionaire you cannot attack the business of another tech billionaire unless you're really really good and careful about it so if jeff bezos's newspaper is attacking elon musk's car company you better you better do a really good job and this was this felt Gratuitous, And I'm not saying that there wasn't secrecy. I'm not saying it shouldn't be paid attention to. But this is this was done in such a way to suggest that th- that it would be possible to have no fatalities in driving cars. And that that's not what we got here. You know, Eliana, I feel like I've been doing better lately with my dumping on the Washington Post. But this episode very clearly has turned into a long vituperation of the Washington Post. So we're already this deep in. Why stop now?
1: I actually liked this piece.
2: You liked this piece? I thought it
1: was okay. Okay, you, you go first.
2: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Author, writer Kara Vat says, Inside a conservative confab for young women where feminism is a lie, for the modern MAGA woman, happiness might mean, might mean being a, quote, trad wife, fearing trans women, and buying anti-woke tampons. So I think the framing of the piece uh, maybe that she isn't responsible for. But the point is, that this Washington Post reporter went to the Young Women's Leadership Summit, an annual event thrown by Turning Point USA, a sort of MAGA youth group. This is Charlie Kirk's, I mean, it's a, a, a dubious organization. It, it is CPAC for people who say that CPAC is too establishment. And they bring together these constellations of right-wing media figures, of often of the Michael Flynn wing of the Republican yeah. Party. And... The way that this piece was, I did not like this piece because I found it sneering.
1: I was going to say the the framing of it is snide yes. and condescending a, and written like a coastal elitist who yes. has never met you know conservative woman from the Midwest.
2: It's very it had it had, a, it had so, a snide and sneering tone.
1: But what I liked about it was it did like. It did talk about the emergence of like this conservative counterculture to the Eastern professional class. And so I'm just gonna read a little bit from it. In the 70s, women were given all sorts of lies. One of these women said, they just told us, well, you can be a man and I and I guess we've kind of accomplished that, but are we happier? The attendees couldn't speak from experience, having been born in the nineties and two thousands, but Clark, who just turned thirty, was very sure the answer was no. What I'm here to tell you is if you were just to go if you were to just go back to biblical roots and what God had designed women to do, we will be happier, she told them. The young women absorbing this wisdom were not necessarily zealots. Some women are saying it's a sin for me to go out. This woman said, but that wasn't her. She connected more to the remarks from Allie Beth Stuckey, a conservative Christian influencer and podcast host who told attendees that being neither a trad wife and mom nor a successful business owner would nurture their self-worth. And it did get to like. I like that it. Touched on some issues that I am. <laughs> Chris, I'm sorry. Colin, Chris is showing me the picture. Co- well,
2: I'm sorry. Colin's doing a two-finger sneak on the last McNugget in his box, um, and it's great.
1: Okay. I am interested in all of this proselytizing that is aimed at women. Yeah. And the vast majority of it is, like, lean in, be professional, reach your highest, you know, professional aspiration. And I felt personally that there was a lack of, like— advice aimed at women on how to achieve sure. like their personal goals because that was considered not feminist right now i think in conservative circles there's almost like too much you know this veers to the other side of like stay at home be a trad mom Char- and charlie kirk has gone there and said that and what i don't hear enough of in this world is everyone's different Right. What will make you happy might not be what will make everyone happy, that some people will want to do both at different times in their life. Some people will want to do both at the same time and that and that some men might want to do both. And that's like what I don't like about all of this. There's not enough like, you know, attention to the fact that everyone's different Women and men are both capable of doing both of these things.
2: As a ma- as a matter of journalism, I would have found this much more interesting <laughs> if the Washington Post would have not gone and and punched down at this
1: I totally agree with um, you.
2: which I'm sure is goofy I'm sure it's not nothing that I would. In, I'm sure it's nothing. It's not made for me, but I'm sure it's nothing I would enjoy. What would be more interesting would be the Washington Post doing this
1: to take it seriously.
2: Well, so there's there would be that. I'd be interested in seeing what the Washington Post had to say about a left of center confab, right? I would be interested in if this if this same piece had run in National Review, it would be interesting and challenging. But the Washington Post serving this up to its readers, this is what these dumb hicks think. Right. Is really and
1: like young women trying to find their place and their purpose in the world is interesting. Okay. And and like a sense of community.
2: Okay, Eliana. Bad news for you.
1: Are we getting to the style section?
2: Well, almost. You know,
1: I don't like going on too long.
2: Tequila is about to become the U.S.'s most popular spirit. Okay, is this good news or bad news? It's bad news. That's bad for the environment. So every time you have a high noon, or every time you make yourself a tequila sunrise, you should know that you're killing the earth.
1: I'm not going to feel that way. Are
2: you prepared to? Are you prepared to, to accept your part-time magazine wants you to accept? your part in this. By Mexican law, tequila must be made from blue agave plants grown in one of five Mexican states. Mezcal adds a few more states and agave varietals to the mix, but the succulent mm, plant's limited growing range means that the Mexican tequila's global popularity has also led to a loss in genetic diversity. What? As manufacturers turn to high-yielding monocrops that require increasing amounts of pesticides. Vodka, on the other hand, can be made anywhere from a wide range of grains, sugar, beets, and potatoes. Not all vodkas. Emissions-wise, tequila and vodka production are on par. So you can, don't worry about your carbon footprint in choosing tequila, but feel very bad about the monoculture of Mexican states because of the success of tequila. Another article in which a outlet says, enjoying something that you like, maybe have you thought about feeling terrible about it. Speaking of which, Ace producer and nugget. Well, I was going to say nugget stealer Colin Chicola pointed us to the whiteness of green spaces, the cyclical nature of exclusion in environmental professions. I didn't even, I hadn't even thought about this from the Michigan Daily. Oh, do you remember the great Yale Daily News story about, about daylight savings? About daylight savings. Time? Time? I will
1: never, how could. <clears throat> Do I remember?
2: We need to develop a Wretch Award for collegiate journalism because Olivia Cain's piece in the Michigan Daily could certainly be in the running. Talking about how here's your lead. As we sat around the fire that night, one of the guides said he had a question for us. He stood up, standing in front he stood up and standing in front of us asked, "What's missing from this group gathered together right now?" here move your cursor i can't read we all looked up and from avidly focusing on not getting our marshmallows on fire and pondered the question in silence i knew there was a hidden lesson to be learned but i didn't know what it was <laughs> the silence stretched into minutes oh my gosh and f- for the first time on the trip it was a truly uncomfortable silence it was clear that we were missing something important move your cursor
1: I'm not even touching my computer.
2: Uh, One of the guides finally sighed and said, this is a group that is entirely white. That's not okay, guys. You see that, right? In recent decades, as the climate crisis facing the global population has become more and more dire, specific fields that focus on environmental sustainability, environmental science, environmental law, environmental engineering, have seen an influx of professionals. But the people who dedicate their lives to reducing the impacts of climate change are, in large part... White, wow.
1: You know what? It is a good piece in noting only you rich white people care about you got this it.
2: stuff. That's right. There you go. There you go. Very useful. There you go. Men's Health Magazine. I did not know this. Men's Health Magazine has become goofy. Uh, and super political. I haven't looked at Men's Health Magazine for a long time. But when somebody sent me this article that I'm going to make you read the headline of, I looked at their website and they had a big profile on Jamie Raskin on the cover. Lord. And it was it was stem to stern with very politicized. It's, it sort of has a Rolling Stone kind of political energy to it. But what's this article?
1: About gynosexuality? Hit me. Okay. Men's Health... The headline is, Are You Gynosexual? Here's What It Means According to Experts. What does it mean? If you're attracted to women or femininity, it might be the label for you. (laughs) Lead. The number of terms and identities Uh. under the LGBTQ plus umbrella is ever growing, allowing more and more people to describe their sexuality with words that make sense to them. One word you may not have heard because you know we're in search of more words. We need more things, words that is helping some people express who they are is gynosexual, sometimes spelled gyne
2: Oh, that's good that there's gynosexuality
1: a refers to being sexually attracted to femininity, irrespective of one's own gender identity or the gender identity of the femme presenting person they are attracted to. Blah blah blah. Oh my gosh,
2: thanks, men's health. That again. Men's Health, a magazine about lifting weights, wants you to have that. So there you go. I'm really excited today because for the first time, we're going to have a sports section. Okay, this is your pick. You, the reason yes. we have a sports section, it's your fault. So tell us.
1: I absolutely loved this New York Times piece about Lionel Messi, the Argentinian soccer player's deal with Saudi Arabia, where he basically serves as a public relations spokesman for Saudi Arabia's tourism authority. And he gets millions of dollars for doing photo ops in Saudi Arabia, $2 million for tweeting things with hashtag Saudi Arabia, and so on and so forth. And They obtained his contract with the royal kingdom where he gets paid millions of dollars to go on four to five day vacations with his family to take five star these five star trips. And I thought it was just a great window into the lengths the Saudi government goes to to whitewash its reputation and using sports stars who are willing accomplices. So he gets two million for a million of, or for a minimum of one family vacation annually lasting <laughs> five days, or alternatively two annual vacations of three days each, another two million for promoting Saudi Arabia on his social media accounts ten times a year. He vacations about $2 in million, Saudi Arabia. Yes, about two million. <clears throat> I don't more. think that's enough. And then he puts it on his Instagram. About two million more to participate in an annual tourism campaign. Another two million for charitable work and appearances. Woof. So.
2: Would you would you go on vacation in Saudi Arabia for sure. $2 million? Sure. Sure. Don't. Happy to. Don't 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 tell him you're Jewish.
1: <laughs> he also can't say anything that might tarnish Saudi Arabia.
2: Whatever would he mention that um, would possibly yes. tarnish Saudi Arabia? All right. Rory McIlroy hardest hit. Okay. <clears throat> Here is the New York Times. I would say a, a foolish question. <clears throat> Why do team owners raise the championship trophy first? It's a decidedly American tradition, even if it can be a buzzkill. Andrew Kay writes, I don't know, two, three thousand 2,500 words, writes a long piece asking the question, why do team owners raise the tr- championship trophy first is in reaction to, I guess, was it the NBA that recently had, yes, okay. The And the answer, of course, Andrew Kay is, because they own the team, that's why they hoist the trophy first, because they own it. And they do it because they own it. So a much shorter version than the 2,500 words he did. Oh! From things that I scoff at to things that I love, I want you to hear Kansas City Chiefs coach Andy Reid in a press conference talking about his team's visit to the White House. Uh, Andy, you mentioned how the food was excellent at the White House. Can you get specifics as to what was all involved in the spread?
0: Yeah, so um, they had, they did have some good stuff. They had a, a i I've never had this before, so a French toast, grilled cheese, and ham sandwich, uh, that they sprinkled a little bit of powdered sugar on. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, the guys were, and it was, there was abundance of this, uh, and. And then they had uh, chicken fingers, exotic chicken fingers to boot. And then.
2: So just to say, Andy Reid's got it right, talking about a French toast, grilled cheese, and ham, talking about the powdered sugar, talking about how they cut the watermelon at the, house, at the White House. I will just say, <clears throat> Andy Reid, from one fat dude to another, much. You know what? If Andy Reid was doing this podcast with us, he would definitely have eaten, he would have eaten the bun, but definitely would have gone for the Big Mac this morning, unlike you. And lastly, in sports, to share with you the great clip from the New York Yankees announcer, Nate, what's his name? John Sterling, Sterling, who got hit by a foul ball during a Red Sox game and still made the call. Here you go. Now the... 3-2, swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! Ow! Ow!
0: It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far.
2: Okay, so if we're done with the sports section, you know what that means.
1: It's time for the style section. Time for style. Time okay. for style. All right, leading our style section, we have Prince Harry and Meghan, Spotify, ending their podcast deal. What Nobody com- cares.
2: Well, what? So they got a 20, they signed a $20 million deal with Spotify to do a podcast. And how many? I
1: love the Wall Street Journal saying the cancellation is a sign of the continuing correction in the podcast market, a far, format popular among listeners, but one that has proved hard to make profitable for Spotify and many of its rivals. I mean, the thing that's really interesting to me about podcasts is that a lot of people that you've never heard of have become enormously successful podcasters and the people who the podcasting executives try to force on the public like harry and meghan and the obamas and other people like we don't want them well, we don't want them
2: there's there's that component and then there's also if they would have worked hard and maybe done a good podcast and it sounds like she did not they did not And it sounds like there was, it was a, a indolent, the Obamas learned this lesson with Netflix, being famous helps get your foot in the door, but you have to produce a good product and pretty clearly they did not. And so the $20 million, so they're at, I think they, somebody calculated up and it was 400, they got paid $400,000 an episode for doing four episodes. And I want you to know, Spotify, we're ready we're to work for yeah, that yeah. same rate. We are ready to go. We, we will be your Harry and Meghan replacement, Spotify. Yeah. Big Macs, no buns every day, though. That's in the rule.
1: Chris, this was like right up your alley. I know. Right up your alley. The New York Times, a flight attendant's 12 etiquette rules. And the headline is, quote, never a reason to take off your socks.
2: Say it. Preach it, sister.
1: I gagged.
2: Here are the rules. Everyone has the right to recline, but there's a polite way to do it. The wrong way is slamming back the seat as hard and fast as you can. That is broken laptops, spilled drinks. Be aware of your surroundings. I disagree with this one. Don't recline. Don't recline. If you're in first class and there's lots and lots of room, maybe recline, but even there, I don't recline. Don't recline. Everybody is miserable. Don't recline. Number two, clean up after your kids. Cosign, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. The overhead bins aren't your personal Tetris game. Lord yes. Lord yes. I dealt with a guy who obviously was freaking out cuz he was going to miss his flight and he was a he was an anxious fellow and he had we had a delayed connection. This guy was humping that overhead bin and trying to <laughs> position his stuff in such a way and it's like, "Bro, if you touch my suit bag again, I'm going to feed it right, to you." nostril. All right, can I quibble with one of
1: these rules?
2: What? Well let's go through. Okay. No one wants to hear your FaceTime conversation. You wouldn't quibble with that. No. Middle seat gets both armrests. That's just right. That's okay. just appropriate. Right, because if you're on the window seat, you get the wall. If you're in the aisle seat, you get the aisle. If you're in the if you're in the middle seat, you get both armrests. Leave the armrests alone. Headphones are a perfectly acceptable conversation ender. Of course. Oh
1: my gosh. How is there a question about that?
2: You don't know. You don't if you don't oh know
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Keep your socks on. What do you say?
1: Oh, my gosh. No discussion about no that. No bare
2: feet. Okay. Use the call button wisely.
1: People, she says, I highly recommend putting your footwear back on to use the lavatory. People are going to the bathroom in their socks.
2: <laughs> or bare feet. How'd you like to go bare oh feet into that, into that situation in there? Use the call button wisely. Sure. Don't discipline other people's kids. Deal with your seating issues before you get on the plane. Yes. You don't have to switch seats if someone asks you.
1: Okay, this is the one I wanted to quibble with. Okay. Because quibble. I was on the plane with my husband and baby. Okay. And I was seated apart from my husband. Right. And we asked a guy who was alone.
2: What kind of seat did you switch. have? What kind of seat were you in?
1: So we were actually in first class.
2: Okay. But were and you in a middle seat? Were you in a... What was... We need more no details. There's no middle
1: seat in first class. Okay. So
2: it was in some big planes there are. Um, so it was a two and two. A two
1: and two. I don't even remember what the seats were. Okay. But we asked a guy to switch so that we could sit together as opposed to separate with our baby. Right. And the guy said no.
2: Any extenuating circumstances that you can think
1: he of? He was like, ah, oh, well, I get up a lot and... So uh, he needed an aisle. He wanted an aisle. Well,
2: so uh, so w- why didn't your husband give up the aisle for him?
1: I can't remember what the All situation right. was. But you feel but that I was he like, was in the wrong. But was sir, these are people traveling with a small child. Move.
2: So he did not move?
1: He did not move. But the guy next to him was like, I'll switch with you. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: So you got the seat.
1: And we got the seat. But I was just like, what is wrong with you? Getting up in first class is not hard. There's plenty I know, of space. But,
2: you know, it's you know, you still Sir. have to excuse yourself. Sir. You have to go around the person. I don't know, Sir. I don't know. I'm taking your side, but oh I don't know. Oh my gosh, it okay. was appalling. And flush, please. Yeah. I think that okay. obviously speaks for itself. Is, is sockless or no socks, please flush. No comment. Okay. What time is it?
1: It is finally, finally time for our obsessions. <laughs> Really like my obsession today. This is excellent. So my obsession this week is a story from 10 days ago almost now on the Substack Public and it's a story from Michael Schellenberger, the West Coast reporter along with Matt Taibbi and one other reporter Alex Gutentag who I'd never heard of and they reported that the first people who had COVID were three Chinese scientist at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, according to U.S. government sources. And um, that's an important story because it, of course, strengthens the theory that COVID came from a lab. And the Wall Street Journal has now confirmed that story. And the journal on Tuesday published a story, U.S.-funded scientist among three Chinese researchers who fell ill amid early COVID outbreak Outbreak And the journal writes, Ben Hu, a scientist at the Wuhan Institute of Virology who had done extensive laboratory research on how coronaviruses infect humans, was identified in a U.S. intelligence in U.S. intelligence reports as one of the researchers who became ill in November 2019 with symptoms that American officials said were consistent with either COVID-19 or a seasonal illness. None of the researchers died. And I just thought it was amazing that this Really big story broke on a small substack and was subsequently confirmed by the Wall Street Journal. By the way, I have not seen it in either the New York Times or the Washington Post, so wanted to commend these guys for breaking a big story that tells us a lot more than we previously knew about COVID origins. And there's a lot that Matt Taibbi does and publishes that I don't agree with, but there is an impressive, like, zeal- zealousness that investigative reporters have that can often lead to this sort of big, these sorts of big breaks, um, and that was related to another big profile that we saw this week oh, yeah. in The Atlantic that we will link about Laura Logan, the former 60 Minutes correspondent, yeah, who has gone around the bend and- We've seen the same with Cheryl Atkinson as well, who was at CBS News, where these things are related. Like, there is an enormous passion and stick-to-itiveness and, like, belief in oneself and one's ideas to do these things. So, anyhow, I just thought it was so cool that this story was broken on the Substack. Good for them. They have, like, pushed it into the American public. That was great. And we'll link both The Wall Street Journal and the Substack link.
2: You made a very lovely bouquet of an obsession a well-ordered obsession mine is blunter kevin williamson wrote my colleague at the dispatch wrote when public opinion is irrelevant the law says what the law says the job of the supreme court is to apply the law not make up the law, not to reform the law, not to ensure that the law accords with public opinion. If public opinion is opposed to the law, then the public can elect new lawmakers and write new laws. It is not up to the Supreme Court to do that for them. If representing democracy, representative democracy means anything, it is that the law is made by lawmakers who are elected by the people and democratically accountable to them. Not... That the New York Times reading, progressive public actually cares what public opinion says. Our progressive friends have been perfectly happy to use the Supreme Court to overrule national public opinion and the law for years. As long as doing so meant they got their way without having to win legislative elections and pass new laws. Public opinion was not in favor of the abortion regime that Roe began to impose in 1973, nor did public opinion favor the regime thereafter. But nobody worried very much about that. The same with same-sex marriage and Obergfell and many other social issue decisions. Most Americans believe that athletes should be required to compete on the basis of biological sex rather than gender self-identification, but don't expect to see any demands that we defer to public opinion when that comes in front of the court. He wrote this in response to a big deal that the New York Times did about the major Supreme Court decisions and comparing them to public opinion polling and to suggest that the Supreme Court is illegitimate or is, is not legitimate because it doesn't accord with public opinion. And I just want to commend this work to all of you and to say that the, the the necessity of Kevin Williamson, there are many ways in which he is necessary. But One of the great necessities of Kevin Williamson is that first paragraph I read you and the willingness to say hard, plain things in plain ways that can be understood. And he doesn't mince words. And as a person who has spent a lot of time in his career talking about public opinion, it is good to remind ourselves when public opinion matters and when it doesn't. Harumph.
1: Chris, that brings us to my favorite time of the week, which is read or mail. Hit me. We have a note from Dave Keppel in Ohio, who writes, Spotted this on Axios PM report for Monday, June 19th. A submarine exploring the Titanic wreck is missing. Go deeper. No. And he writes, really? Go deeper?
2: Is that real? Yes. Is that real?
1: So that was great.
2: That actually did, they actually did that? Oh, I feel much better about the things that I said earlier in the podcast. Thanks, Dave Keppel. You made me feel better.
1: And we have another note from Alec McGosslin in Paradise Valley, Arizona, who writes, Oh wretches you two are at your peak when you do dramatic readings from various sources and the Trump indictment offers a golden opportunity it's rich in detail that aches for your thespian cunning will you do it please will ya will we I don't think so
2: we're, but Too we'll long. do. But we'll do one soon. I promise. We'll come up with a good. We had a couple of good. We could have done that campfire scene from the unbearable whiteness of. Oh uh, yes, invi- that would have been that. really. good. That was a missed opportunity. That would have
1: been really. Mr. good. Mr.
2: McCausland, I promise yes. you that we will find a dramatic reading. That would
1: have been great.
2: Soon, and here's one that's a that 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 is a pretty dramatic. <laughs> as we come to our favorite items yes. of the week.
1: That brings us to our favorite items of the week. That is Chris's favorite time, where I am forced to say something nice. But as always, Chris is going to lead by example.
2: Philadelphia Inquirer, two Rhode Island officials visited Philly. They were so rude that the state launched two separate investigations. Now, I don't know what's going on in Rhode Island, but here it is. At midnight before the tour, Patton, this is one of the Rhode Island guys, texted Scanapeco, whatever, my apologies, who is overseeing the redevelopment of the Providence building. Please have fresh coffee, parentheses, with milk and sugar and the best croissant in Philadelphia ready for me upon arrival. He wrote, Director Thorson likes Diet Coke. Have a cold six-pack waiting on the table in the conference room. You have three hours to convince us to give you $55 million. In the morning as the tour began, Patton commented on, scan a Pecco's appearance, asking her, Lindsay, where's your husband? Why is he in Australia? Good thing you're married, or I would move to Philadelphia." He also said, "If I knew your husband wasn't going to be here, I would have come last night." The group visited the headquarters for Diadora, the Italian sportswear and sneaker company, where an employee offered Pat and a pair of sneakers. "Are these made in China?" Pat and asked. "I hope not, because I really hate China." Then he turned to an American, Asian American female staffer in the room and said, "No offense, hun." Kudos to you, Philadelphia Inquirer. This is the, this is the content, the 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 anti-Providence, Rhode Island content that will satisfy many in New England.
1: Mine, and this could have gone in the sports section, was a Sports Illustrated piece about a college bowling coach who quit after he had a, his affair with a player was revealed, and his response to Sports Illustrated was. I knew it was kind of a no-no, but there's not a rule saying it can't happen. Wow. There's not a law saying I'm going to go to jail for doing something like this. Wow. There's nothing in stone. I guess it's just an ethics code, like we frown upon it, but there's no rule. There's no law broken. The- and then he goes on to say, so the co, his co-head coach of the bowling team is his wife. Wow. And he says- I was a stay-at-home dad for five years with the kids. Well, Amber got to go off and coach the team, and when she'd get back, I'd run practices on top of taking care of the kids while she was back, Steve said. When they'd travel again, I would sit back and take care of the kids. That's when I got hired on. She almost forced me to run practices. I was a volunteer the entire time before that, trying to help out Amber. Once I got hired on, one thing stemmed from another. I felt like I was doing too much for what I was being valued at.
2: Wow, this Sir. guy, this gentleman Sir. is up for the Rick Patino coaching award. He is Sir. on his way. I assume he will be joining Patino's staff at any time. Wow, I knew it was kind of a no no, but there's no, and also, Stephen F. Austin, having a ladies' bowling team, very progressive for you. I think this is kudos to you for, you know what? Maybe this is the answer to the Washington Post story on the conservative confab is the answer is the Stephen F. Austin women's bowling team has a different viewpoint for what feminism looks like.
1: Unbelievable. There you go. That is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at com and sign up for our newsletter at com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chocola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Just search for Wretches.